0: Welcome back, skiers and riders, to episode four of the Killington Download. I'm your host, Justin Cash. On this episode, we have a very special guest calling in from Finland, U.S. ski team athlete and Killington's very own Hannah Soar. We talk to Hannah about growing up around the Bear Mountain parking lot scene, why her first Bear Mountain mogul challenge was also her last, what it's like to podium on the World Cup, and then we get Hannah's take on tie-dyes and springtime free-bumping on Superstar. Then, as always, we take a few minutes with President and General Manager of Killington Resort, Mike Salamano, to get the inside skinny on what's happening in and around the beast. First up, as always on the podcast, I'm joined by Amy Laramie, Director of Communications, Events, and Special Projects at Killington Resort. Amy, welcome back to Episode 4 of the Killington Download Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. Good to be back.
0: Great to have you. Um, So, after kind of a bummer of a Saturday at the World Cup, Sunday more than made up for it, uh, Michaela Schifrin winning her fifth consecutive slalom title on Superstar in very exciting fashion, narrowly edging out Petra Vlahova. Where were you? Where were you watching it? How exciting was it? How was the vibe?
1: Yeah, it was great. I actually sort of escaped and went to the top of the Superstar grandstand where the broadcast cabins are. And so I sort of had a uh, bird's eye view of everything happening in the venue. So I saw the crowd; there was not a single person on their seat. Everybody was standing up, cheering for Michaela as she came down the finish.
0: That was it was a it was a very exciting race. Just just an awesome event. Um, What's happening this weekend at the Beast?
1: So this weekend we're heading back on snow, and we have the Coronation Rail Jam. What's great about this event is that although it is snowboarder focused, it does benefit Vermont Adaptive. Um, So, again, giving back to the community, which we like to do.
0: What a great cause. Um, Where's uh, the Rail Jam being held?
1: That'll be on Mouse Run this weekend. But we will still have features available to the general public. So don't worry. The whole park will not be closed down.
0: Cool. Um, That's good to know. Uh, Also, coming up uh, for the locals, Ski Bum Series?
1: Yeah, kick off to the Micklobe Ultra Ski Bum Race Series after a year off last year. So get your teams ready. Sign up parties on Wednesday, December 15th.
0: Little known useless fact, I once won the Ski Bum Snowboard Division.
1: Congratulations. That do was, you have a coveted trophy with a Ultra can in your office?
0: I do have a trophy, uh, probably tucked in a box someplace in my parents' basement collecting dust. But uh, <laughs> enough about that. Let's talk expansion. I heard uh, Rams Head came online.
1: Yeah, so Ramset opened up this weekend as well as Superstar. I may have actually took a few runs on Ramstead with my kids on Sunday for a bit. It was great to get back out there.
0: I can't wait. I haven't been, uh, haven't been up there since that's happened. Uh, getting, getting the Superstar Trail open you know, early season for everybody is just a blast. Um, Amy, thanks for all the updates and joining us on episode four. We'll talk in a couple of weeks to hear about what's happening at Killington over the holidays.
1: Thanks for having me. Look forward to it.
0: We'll talk later. Bye. All right. I'm very excited to introduce my guest for this episode, U.S. ski team mogul athlete and Killington's very own Hannah Soar. Hannah, how are you doing?
2: Pretty good. I'm excited to be here.
0: Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, Just out of curiosity, where in the world is Hannah Soar right now?
2: I'm currently in Ruka, Finland, which is pretty close to the North Pole. So, Kind of like Santa Land up here, which is pretty nice for November, December. Is it dark? Extremely dark.
0: <laughs> what what's the time difference? It's nine o'clock Eastern time here in Vermont. What time is it over in Finland?
2: It's currently four p.m. here, so it's super dark. We tend to get a couple hours of sunlight, you know, if we're lucky, from you know, I don't know, eleven a.m. to two p.m.
0: <laughs> that must that must really limit the training. Is it just like you get those two hours and go?
2: Luckily, and, and in Ruka, we have lights, so we're oh. basically night skiing at all times. That's pretty cool. Yeah, there's really no perception of time here.
0: <laughs> Interesting. Um, your family has quite a legacy at Killington. Your grandfather was an original bond holder. Your dad had his first season pass in 1967, I believe. You grew up every weekend at Killington, and in preparing for this interview, your U.S. Ski Team bio says your hometown is Somers, Connecticut. But everyone I've talked to would argue that killington is your hometown what are your thoughts on that
2: so this question comes up a lot you know i always get asked where are you from or where did you live where did you grow up and you know i did grow up in summers connecticut i went to public school there from kindergarten through the 10th grade um you know i played varsity soccer my freshman year in a public school in connecticut so yeah i definitely have a lot of ties to connecticut but my home and where my heart is is truly killington vermont you know, and I always joke, my license says Connecticut, my driver's, uh, you know, car plate says Utah, but, you know, my heart's always in Vermont. So for me, Killington is home. It's my community. It's just where I love to spend my time. Any free time I have, which these days isn't that much, I love to be in Killington, on the hill, on my gravel bike, just surrounded by the community.
0: That's great to hear. I I think you're not alone in that sentiment. Like many great skiers, you probably started at a very young age. Do you remember your first time skiing?
2: No recollection whatsoever. My first time skiing, but I think that's kind of the joy in it too. Like 18 months. I don't remember that. But the funny part to me is when I think back on it, some of my earliest memories at Killington aren't, you know, skiing outer limits or skiing down snowshed. It's really just hanging out in the bare parking lot and the snowbanks with my friends and you know, one of those boys is my boyfriend right now.
1: <laughs> okay. So we
2: really kind of like stuck together this whole time. And um, I met so many amazing people along the way, both, you know, skiing and in the parking lots.
0: Is he a mogul skier?
2: Yeah, Ian Beauregard. So he also we grew up together. We basically went through the same things. Um, so we have a lot of great memories together.
0: So in talking to your dad, leading up to this, uh, he was saying by the age of three and a half, you were skiing so fast that you were skiing you know you you were getting done with your runs long before your parents could get down to the bottom and and catch up with you and you would wait near the say the outer limits chair and wait for um your extended family the bear mountain lot family to you know someone come along that you would know and help you on the chair so that you could just keep skiing keep ripping laps do you remember that
2: yeah my parents definitely didn't inducing me the stranger danger concept but (laughs) you know at Killington it was kind of like Hannah you know everyone everyone will recognize you with your little pink snowflake helmet you'll be fine someone will lift you up just ask (laughs) and I mean honestly that's like the heart of our community is just that you know my parents weren't worried about something bad happening to me or getting stuck somewhere like someone was always going to find me and someone was always going to help me and there's always going to be a friendly face and still to this day that's what I do you know I, I hate skiing alone There's no fun in that. I love the social atmosphere of Killington. And I might go out there alone, but I'm probably going to find someone to ski with within 30 seconds. And that's my favorite part about Killington.
0: Um, (laughs) Your dad also told me a story about you were around four years old and uh, you had asked for ski poles for Christmas. You hadn't been skiing with ski poles yet. And uh, you wake up Christmas morning and there are two red ski poles hanging from the tree. And as your dad says, you just took off. Grabbed the ski poles, went to the window and said, Let's go skiing. So, <laughs> not even looking at all the other presents under the tree, let's go skiing. That's all you want to do. You had your poles in your hand. Do you still have that level of excitement to ski?
2: Oh, absolutely. And I think that's what carries me through to where I am today. And I talk about this with my coach on the daily, Mackinoza, and just talking about like, I'm here standing at the top of the course in Ruka, Finland or in China, wherever it is, because I love to ski. I love to mogul ski. Um, I love this kind of community. So just kind of remembering your roots. It's really easy to get stuck in the nitty gritty, you know, wanting to do things perfectly, the technical aspects of everything. And my coach is really helpful at being like, whoa, like, let's just relax. He calls it Ponytail Hannah um, you know, kind of that springtime superstar tie-dye vibe. And we always talk about like, how do we bring that into competitive mobile skiing? Cause it's definitely different springtime bumping on superstar and just the competition aspect, you know, out here with just the intensity of it all and the jumping and all those other things. But how do you integrate the two to get the best version of myself in all those places?
0: So let's go back. I, I think the year was 2008 and you enter your first and last bear mountain mogul challenge. You end up getting your name on the trophy, you finish fourth, and then the organizers decided that if you were skiing at a competitive level, USASA, um, that you were not allowed to enter the Bear Mountain Mogul Challenge anymore. So I take it as they were basically scared of an eight-year-old. Do you remember that first Bear Mountain Mogul Challenge and your only Bear Mountain Mogul Challenge?
2: Yeah, you know, I remember being nervous, but I also mostly just remember riding up the chairlift with the three other women um, who were competing in those final rounds for duels for first through fourth place. And they were incredibly kind to me. And I really think that that set the tone for me with what competition really is about. And for me, competition and wanting to win is about wanting to do the best version of myself today and also wanting everyone else to ski their best but me just to be a little bit better <laughs> but like you know and not wanting anyone to do worse or not wanting me to just do good enough but we were on that chairlift and I wanted Catherine Tupence to ski an amazing run and you know like I just didn't ski as good of a run and that was okay because I was out there like having fun trying my best and you just tip your cap to the person next to you who just did it a little bit better that day. And I think that really set a really nice foundation, for my competitive mindset moving forward into what is now my life.
0: (laughs) So at 11 years old, you step up to the A class. You you were, you know, you're obviously B you step up to the A Um, at a contest right at Killington on outer limits. I'm told it was super hard, super icy. And you make, you make it to the finals and you end up winning that event as an 11 year old competing against 16, 17 year olds. Your dad called it a seminal moment. What was it like to have such an amazing result in front of the hometown Killington family?
2: You know, having an amazing result at home, like thinking about it now is almost more significant. In the moment, I was just having so much fun. And like my dad and I, (laughs) I'll never forget this. We get in the car that morning. We're big Grateful Dead fans, as a lot of people would know. <laughs> and I Need a Miracle comes on. And my dad turns to me and he goes, you'll need a miracle today. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you're so right. And that song, anytime it comes on now, I just laugh because I'm like, I needed a miracle. Like, I needed it to be treacherously icy that some of those older girls couldn't maybe do their higher degree of difficulty tricks. It was my bread and butter and icy ol' day, cold and bitter. And I got my miracle you know I won and was I the best skier there that day like no I just skied a good run and you know other people had some difficulties but for me it was just one of those moments where I was just like oh oh, well and I are really good friends (laughs) we know each other so well And it's awesome. And, you know, that night, what I remember was going to Sushi Yoshi for my friend Madison Hogg's birthday party, who's currently my roommate here for the Ruka World Cup.
3: No
0: kidding. So (laughs)
2: life really goes full circle. (laughs) Wow,
0: that's 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 amazing. So your boyfriend grew up at Killington and is now skiing on the ski team. Your roommate, who you went to a birthday party at age 11, is now on the ski team and your roommates together. Killington produces some serious mogul skiers.
2: Oh yeah, we're all like, interrelated out here. Mackinosa, and and my coach with my coach, you know, at KMS and the ski club growing up too. So it's all good.
0: <laughs> so so you bring up KMS. By this point, you're you're clearly very good at skiing moguls and you enroll at Killington Mountain School full time. What is it like to attend a school like that and and get to ski every day?
2: It's basically the definition of your dreams coming true. Like I can't speak more highly of my KMS experience. Like it was everything I dreamed it would be. I got to, I had the most amazing friends who are also my teammates. I learned that the Alpine skiers aren't bad people who take up space on Highline. Uh, my, my best friend now is Becca Clark, who is an Alpine D1 racer in Middlebury and was the only other girl in my graduating class in 2017. Um, uh, so I learned those, those were good skills to learn. Um, and I just got to ski every day with these, with amazing teammates who were awesome, my best friends. And then I got to go to class. Um, and I got like basically a one-on-one teaching experience, which for my kind of learning was really awesome. And I got to come home to my dad who would make me Buffalo chicken wings at night. Like my <laughs> life was pretty great.
0: So how does one get on the U S ski team? How does that process even work? Like, do you go to tryouts or something, or do you stack results and get noticed and, and get an invite? Like, how does that happen?
2: It's like the mysterious airline status, you know?
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how do like, you
2: get those elite statuses? Um, yeah, so making the USV team changes every year. So that can make it really hard to keep up with. But basically, it comes down to just like requirements and criteria that you hit. Um, so they're always objective in the sense of maybe you won the North American tour. Or you have two podiums on World Cup, um, you know stuff like that. So eventually you hit it, and it's always within FIS events, um, which are international events, and they also have different criteria based on how old you are. So like the US ski team kind of looks like I'm 22 years old, and basically 22 and up, like you better be like top 10 in the world. Um, you know, if you're younger though, there's a lot more of an opening. So I personally made the US ski team by being the one of the three best under 18 competitors in 2016 or something Uh, like that's not a criteria now, but that's how I initially made the team. So usually there's opening like openings like that for younger athletes to make their way on. But to your point, even those athletes that usually make the team the first year didn't even know that they made the team. Um, And the criteria is published online, but usually kids at that age are just focused on getting better every day. And that's really where the focus should be. And if you get that mysterious call one day, uh, that's awesome. And it's an amazing feeling. And you'll never forget that moment.
0: So it's so it's a phone call. Yeah. You okay. head <laughs> the <laughs> bottom line is a phone call. Um, <laughs> what's the difference between an FIS race and a World Cup race?
2: All right. So a World Cup is... So certain countries have designations for how many spots of people they can send. Um, So basically you can send 10 athletes on a world cup. Usually we go five and five or four and six women to men Um, for a fist event though. It's not as much of a cap on like what the nations are sending. It's just meaning that you have to be fist age. So you have to be like 14 and up Um, in those events. Canada is also there usually a lot when we have our U S events I um, mean, it gets a little bit more international, but with World Cup, we can't send any more than 10 total athletes and we can't, we have to basically go five and five, four and six, gotcha. which is a lot less than an tour.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. I, I was just curious about that. So, so February 2nd, 2017, Deer Valley, and it's your first World Cup event and you're stepping up to the highest level of competition. What were your expectations heading into that competition? And were you happy with the results?
2: Going into that event, I was just extremely happy to be checking that World Cup start box. You know, I was just happy to have gotten the start. I was extremely grateful to be there and just wanted to take in that experience. And like, yes, I was there to try to win, but I also knew it was my first World Cup. You know, I'm here to get the experience and try to get better every day but also knowing like, I'm probably not going to win today and really embrace this experience. Cause you might never get this opportunity again. And that, that kind of speaks a bit to my mindset, of it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I want to call it negative, but just realistic, I like to think of it. Um, so I was really happy. I left there skiing in a final under the lights. I got to experience what it was like to stand at the top of the course with a huge crowd at the bottom cheering and just the crowd echoing in that little bowl at the bottom of Deer Valley. And I had this amazing group of Killington people that came out to support me. And it was just awesome.
0: So let's, let's fast forward to February, 2020. Uh, you know, A month before the world changes, you find yourself in the finals of the duels back at Deer Valley again, against Justine Dufour LaPointe. Can you walk us through that run, that, that final run? Was it, was it snowing? It's, it's under the lights. Did you have you know, a group of fans at the bottom rooting you on? Walk us through that final run.
2: Yeah, so that was a very memorable experience. Um, You know, I just was standing at the top and, you know, I think I was a little forward thinking, right? I'm at the top and I'm already thinking like, wow, this is so cool. Like, you know, like the little kid in you is like, I've watched this on TV. This is a huge moment, if not the biggest moment on tour in the whole year duels at Deer Valley is like a prestigious event and holy I'm here and I could win and that I got a little ahead of myself right I wasn't saying it's focused um for me in order to compete really well I need to be aiming my attention at something that's tangible um those usually those are cues you know with my jumping or my skiing and I'm thinking about how cool it is that I'm here um which I don't blame myself for but it was a very little kiddisk kid-esque of me in that moment and I kind of blew the run (laughs) and just like pushed out of the gate really slow and didn't ski a run that was gonna you know win the World Cup that day but I learned from that experience and overall it was amazing and to me it really showed that my podium in duels the month prior in China which was my first ever podium on World Cup wasn't a fluke and that's a big one and I think The first World Cup you podium in is huge, but the second one shows that it's a pattern. You know, you can repeat this moment. And that was really powerful for me. And I was really grateful to have my people at the bottom of the course. My parents were there, friends, family, you name it. They were at the bottom of the course. And actually the biggest, like the best moment for me at that event was that um, someone really important to me, Shammy. Was a surprise guest, and she's never she doesn't really travel anymore. I definitely didn't expect her to be here, and she's a very important person to me, in the Killington community. And she was just standing at the bottom of the course. And I just wanted to cry. I thought that was the most amazing thing that she got all the way there without me knowing. Um, and I loved loved every moment of that.
0: So you mentioned your first podium uh, a month prior to your Deer Valley result. What was that like? What was that like stepping up? onto the podium for the first time?
2: Oh, that was like the worst day of my life to start the day.
0: <laughs> how could that <laughs> be? You ended up on the podium.
2: Exactly. I really think it goes to show like how you look at life, you know, and, and your mindset is really important. And so one of my best friends, Olivia Giaccio, she was my partner in crime, roommates. We did everything together. Um, She did her knee like the minute before the event started. The oh. very last person to come down the course in training. And I was just in absolute hysterics, you know, upset for her, upset that I'm losing my best friend here, upset that she's over in this ambulance with a bunch of Chinese men. It looks very chaotic. I'm very concerned for her well-being. Um, So I'm like not focused whatsoever, but I got to go up to start the event because it's about to start. And that whole day, like in between runs, I'm just crying. I'm like upset but I really was able to just like zone in and focus for the 30 seconds of the run that I needed to, and then lose my mind again. But really it showed me the power of just being able to focus for 30 seconds. Like this isn't a long run, but you've got to pull it together for that amount of time. Um, And I ended up walking away with the podium that day, my very first one. And I learned a lot from that. I learned, you know, there's a lot of external things that go on around you that are not in your control. The only thing you can control is your mindset and how you focus and how you deal with that. Um, and I think that's why I've been able to repeat podiums. Honestly, is because that very first one was not easy. I did not walk into it. It was very easy to look back and say, "What did I do differently that day?" Oh, I focused really hard for the moments that it needed to happen, and it worked.
0: Let's let's take a, a quick step back and reflect on Killington. How did growing up at Bear Mountain, skiing with your parents and their friends? basically any anybody else that was ripping around Killington in those days how did that shape the skier you are today
2: every person at Killington has shaped the skier and person I am today (laughs) I can think of certain ways that I ski certain little ticks that I have that just come from certain individuals skiing around the mountain when I was young Um, and I ski with everyone right it didn't matter their age didn't matter if they were younger than me or if they were 40 years older than me we were having a great time. And I'll never forget, you know, that age when all of a sudden, like my friends became like my parents' friends and I was my parents' friends. All of a sudden, we're like one big bump gang. And it was irrelevant. If I was there, my friend Calman's going to be skiing with my dad. It really didn't matter if I was there that day. Um, Those moments were were funny to me as a kid. And uh, now it's so funny because I go back to Killington and it's it's just special that I have individual relationships with everyone, separate from my parents, separate from my friends, and they're all friends with each other, you know, and it's hard to find that in life in that big of a community, but Killington's a really lucky place for that.
0: I, I don't think that that kind of community exists at many ski areas, if any, um, maybe Squaw Valley. Uh...
2: I've been to a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and you just don't, you just don't see that. It's
2: interesting because I've had the opportunity to leave. Like I talk about this with my dad. I had so many opportunities to say like, all right, Killington, it's been great. It's where you grew up, but like I'm on to the next. But yet I come crawling back home whenever the opportunity presents itself. And I think that really speaks to the community here. And like, it's, it's nowhere else. You know, there's places that have their own unique concept and community. And that's amazing. But it's not Killington to me. And there will never be a Killington that's not my home.
0: Free bumping. This is a term I learned uh, on a gondola ride with you and Donna Weinbreck. Explain to me what free bumping is.
2: So free bumping is my favorite type of mobile skiing. And it's what you see around your local mountain, right? Like bumps that are just coming up on their own from people skiing around on the groomers, cutting up the snow. And they're not in line. And it's more of an artistic sport to me you know you're picking your line you're talking with your friends like oh did you find a good line over there like a couple right lefts um and whatnot and that's what I love about free bumping to me it's fun it's different every run you're not skiing the same exact line every time um unlike competitive mobile skiing right where it's always right left you're going to ski the same line until they rebuild that course and it just keeps it interesting it keeps it fun and it's so much fun to sit on the lift and watch how people interpret free bumping, right? Like see their techniques, see what they're doing. Like you go out there on a spring day on superstar and you're going to watch so many different people ski down this run full of bumps all over the place completely differently. And that's awesome.
0: Donna Weinbreck, arguably the, one of the most famous mogul skiers of all time, Uh, Killington skier. You must've grown up skiing with her.
2: I grew up idolizing Donna she's still the queen to me she'll always be the queen Uh, (laughs) and I just wanted to be like her you know she had this blonde ponytail flying around these amazing turns the best personality you know so kind so sweet um always had something nice to say and just had this energy about her that was like I love to be here um You know, and that's why I'm here. I'm not here because I'm trying to make money. I'm not here because I have to be. I'm here because I want to be. And it shows in my skiing that energy really does come through. And so I learned a lot of that from Donna. And I noticed a difference in my skiing when I want to be there that day. And when I don't, It really comes through.
0: Does does she still help you to this day?
2: Oh, yeah. Donna's awesome. (laughs) She'll always DM me on Instagram after an event and say, congrats and stuff like that.
0: that's great um so all this training all this traveling all this hard work is basically for what i'm guessing is just one goal and that's the olympics Would, would you say that the olympics is the ultimate goal
2: yeah i mean i think i struggle a bit with the olympics because yes it is the ultimate goal but at the same time if you go to the olympics you're getting on a plane home the next day And is your life that different? Probably not at the end of the day. And yes, it is the pinnacle of sport. It is absolutely a place I wanna see myself in February this year. But if I don't see myself there and it doesn't work out for me, like that's okay too. Like what's important is that I love mobile skiing. I'll always have that. And I have an amazing community that's not gonna go away if I don't go to the Olympics or it's not gonna be better because I went to the Olympics. So for me, like, yes, the Olympics is a great stamp of approval. It's another checkbox to check off my list. And I really look forward to getting the opportunity to do that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Do
0: you ever let yourself daydream about the Olympic competition day? What it will feel like at the top of the course in the start house? Do you let yourself be in that moment ever?
2: Obviously, your mind always, you know, crawls off into those spaces. um, You know, and you think about that. But I really try to focus more on like, what can I do to make that moment happen? So if my mind does go there, like, okay, like that's fine. That's great. Like, let's have a little happy image in our head, but let's think about how we can make that actually happen because no one just wakes up and they're in the Olympic village, you know? Like that's a lot of hard work and you have to have a plan for how you're going to get there. Um, So I try to keep my mind focused on how I'm going to do it opposed to just what I want to do. So those are two different things.
0: A few last questions. I'm going to try to keep these light and fun. What's with begging complete strangers for tie dye shirts at the top of superstar.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's a real problem for me. People are probably scared. I mean, if they have a great tie dye, like I can't not ask. Right. And I always hope a little bit of the name pull, maybe they'll feel good, but heart good, really good. And special tie dyes are hard to come by. You gotta ask.
0: I'm, I'm a, I'm a grateful dead fan myself. Uh, I, I don't, I don't ever ski in a tie dye shirt. I'm not even sure I own any anymore but I, I should change that immediately. I know. I know. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start. I'm going to find a guy skiing <laughs> and I'm going to beg for the shirt off his back. Um, how badly injured do you think I would get a 49-year-old snowboarder if I got on a pair of mogul skis and tried to ski a World Cup mogul course and hit a jump?
2: <laughs> I think your back would hurt more than you can imagine.
0: I think everything would hurt. It already hurts. <laughs> I get out of bed and it hurts. I, I can't imagine trying to ski bumps. Um, this might be a dumb question as well. Icy bumps or soft, powdery bumps or spring bumps?
2: <sighs> spring bumps. <laughs> what can I say?
0: <laughs> it's got to be, right?
2: Unpredictable.
0: <laughs> um, when the pandemic hit, you and Becca Clark set out to skin and ski every resort in vermont i believe and and i think you did in like something like 10 days sometimes bagging three peaks a day 6 uh, days 6 days excuse <laughs> me sorry 6 days um what what led to that who who came up with the idea and and what was the motivation behind it
2: oh what led to that was i landed back in the us from norway or sweden wherever we were and I got back to Connecticut for one day. And I said, Oh, my God, I'm so bored. <laughs> so I called back and I'm like, Becca, what are we going to do? We need a challenge because Becca and I are really into like challenges, and doing stuff like that together. And uh, I think her dad actually was the one who was like, Oh, you guys should go skin every mountain in the east. And we were like, what? No. And so we're like, Oh, we'll do all of them in Vermont. Um, and we literally had zero plan. I said, okay, let's meet at Okemo tomorrow. <laughs> and we met at Okemo. And as we skinned up Okemo, we're like, "Um, so should we drive to the next? <laughs> and then uh, every day as we skinned, we tried to kind of group together geographically, which resorts were closer to each other for driving purposes. Because we were day tripping from Killington every day because of COVID. Um, <laughs> so it was super fun. And honestly, I was incredibly exhausted because I was also jet lagged from Europe and was losing my mind. Um, but weren't we all?
0: (laughs) Yes, 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 we were. Um, So I've read that you do a lot with Vermont Adaptive. They have the new, uh, they have a new building at Pico, and I believe a new one at Sugarbush. And they do so many wonderful things for athletes in, in Vermont, giving them opportunities. What led you to work with them? And, 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 and what are the special moments that, that you've, you've had through Vermont Adaptive?
2: Yeah. So Becca and I finished skinning all the mountains in six days. And, you know, I go home and I twiddle my thumbs for, you know, 20 minutes. And I say, call back I'd up, back up. And I'm like, what are we doing next? <laughs> and uh, we hadn't ridden a century before. So a hundred miles road ride.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so we're like, all right, let's do that. Let's switch gears. Let's go on a bike. And she's like, okay, when do you want to do it? And I'm like, uh, I don't know, two weeks. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so we start training, you know, by doing, I don't know. We just ride. <laughs> it was COVID, right? Yeah. Nothing else to do. Nothing. Um. So we'd ride around and we're riding and, you know, getting up 60, 70 miles and we're chatting. I'm like, you know, Becca, like usually century rides are for charity. So like, what could we do for charity? I don't know. Make it fun. Uh, So I reached out to someone that I know on Vermont Adaptive and was just like, hey, I know you guys do a century ride. I assume with COVID this isn't happening. Uh, Can I do anything to support? Um, My friend Becca and I are going to ride. And we ended up getting a crew together, my boyfriend Ian and Alex Lewis, who's also on the ski team. And. Lisa Maggs, Uh, so we had a crew, and they said, well, we're actually doing a virtual Vermont Adaptive this year, and I was like, awesome, let's do it, Um, so we started on a team, and we raised money, and through that, I've always stayed connected with them, and had so many amazing opportunities. Last year, I got to ski with someone um, through a Subaru Icon Pass ad video thing um, with someone who's visually impaired, and it was awesome. It was such a fun day he was an amazing skier. He was so funny. He's also an ultra runner. He <laughs> could run me into the ground. F- <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> it was awesome. I've gotten so many cool opportunities through them and I hope to continue to support them for as long as I can.
0: It's a great organization. I uh, highly recommend anybody listening to check it out. One last final question. We'll get you on your way. Picture it. It's springtime late afternoon. You're on superstar. It's sunny, the, the warm sun's hitting. maybe there's a crowd at the umbrella bar. And, uh, you glide over to the superstar chair and you're about to get on and, and you can fill that chair with three other people. Um, you know, it could be anybody. It could be, you know, Andrew, Mead, Lawrence, Barack Obama, anybody you want, you can pick anybody to ride that chair with. Who are you picking?
2: Oh, I can't answer that question. That is <laughs> tough. There's too many people to fill that chair with. <laughs> I genuinely can't. Um, you know, I, I, I don't even want to say my parents because, you know, my parents, <laughs> I get to ride the chair with them all the time. I'm lucky. Um, as of right now, I think I'd fill it with my boyfriend, Ian, and my best friend, Becca, because they're both injured with knees oh.
0: uh,
2: and ACLs right now. So if they were able to ride the chairlift with me, that would be very exciting. And I'd love to bring that to fruition. Uh, and probably Shammy.
0: <laughs> Excellent. I like I like the parent caveat because you get to ski with them all the time. That's awesome. Hannah, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule, calling in from Finland, um, and good luck the rest of the way. You have a new fan in me. I will be watching. When is the next contest, by the way?
2: Our World Cup opener is here in Ruka on December 4th.
0: December 4th. We could probably watch on the Olympic Channel or NBC or online, probably.
2: Yeah, I think Peacock.
0: Peacock? All right. I'll, uh, I'll put a link to that if I can find it in the show notes below. Um, Hannah, thank you so much for coming on the Killington Download Podcast. Good luck the rest of the way. Have a great season. We're all going to be rooting for you. Thank you again.
2: Thanks. Looking forward to seeing you guys all in Killington in the spring.
0: we Will do. We'll look for you in tie-dye on Superstar. <laughs> have a great
2: night. Yeah, hi- hide your tie-dyes.
0: <laughs> I- hide your tie-dyes. Have, have a great night. Thank you very much.
2: <laughs> Thanks.
0: All right. As always, we welcome back Mike Salmano, President and General Manager of Killington Resort. Mike, welcome back to episode four. Thank you. World Cup uh, over Thanksgiving weekend, but we got like a foot plus worth of snow Friday night. I never heard of a wishing it would stop snowing so that we could get the race off. How was the World Cup for you?
3: It was great. Yeah, as you said, that's the first time in my career I was disappointed with snow. You know, you just don't get to pick what happens around here. So yeah foot plus snow and they had to go on the middle of the night and push all the snow off and you can imagine we worked so hard to get snow on the trails that we're actually pushing it off to the sides and sticking in the woods and it's just crazy to think that we would have to do that but um, overall it was a great event we're happy you know obviously saturday was disappointing but people stayed around we had you know five six thousand people watching the bands and it's good for the community and everybody seemed happy and of course sunday was amazing so that made everybody I think. very five happy, and, you know. We're happy. Yeah, it was good.
0: Five for five for Michaela. you know. Not the not the yeah. boldest prediction of all time, but uh, we nailed that one. It was it was a lot closer than I think anybody would have uh, would have expected. Any other weird things you you happen to notice at the World Cup?
3: Well, there's always a couple new things. You know, we plan for everything, but uh, and you know, we've been getting better and better with our parking and our shuttles and really trying to make the traffic flow work well. We weren't expecting, you know, the town of the uh, Killington Elementary parents to decide to do a coin drop right in the middle of the time when everyone's come up the road. So, you know, that backed things up. But you know, they meant well, and you know, we love that group. But you know, I think they were just a little bit uh, thinking, hey, when there's thousands of cars driving up the road, that's a good time to go collect some change. And I can't, I can't really fault them for that. But uh, no. you know, that wasn't great for traffic flow. So, uh, the other funny one was a woman brought her guitar into the venue and. Um, put it out and started playing some tunes, trying to get some, some spare change as well. So everybody was trying to collect change. It's trying to tell them all that, you know, Venmo would probably be better, but uh, it added some good humor around here.
0: That must've been something to, I mean, you, you, God bless her, right? Like, Hey, let's that, strike while the iron's hot. we got a lot of people. Maybe, maybe I can make a few. Dollars. Everybody's thinking there's all
3: these people in town. I got to get some money up.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so now that the World Cup is behind us, uh, we're looking straight ahead, fast forward to you know winter uh, expansion, um, getting more trails online, getting more lifts going. Ramshead came online this past weekend. What's next?
3: Yeah, we're still doing some infill at Ramshead, and we're opening Snowshed this weekend. Uh, so a lot of snowmaking going on. You know, for us, the challenge, of course, is when do you have temps down low we can make snow. And when we do, we really need to try to make it in those venues as opposed to, you know, up at the top of the mountain. So, you know, I think the interesting thing for people to understand is, you know, obviously we need to get some beginner terrain. I know a lot of the people who probably listen to this podcast or are, are, are more core group that are probably skiing up in the Canyon and looking for the more aggressive skiing. But I think it's important for people to understand. It's not just because, you know, we need beginner terrain to make money. I mean, I think the other positive is, Getting people off those other trails. So if you take Thanksgiving week, if anybody was skiing around here when we just had Great Northern, you probably noticed there were a lot of people all over the trail that um, we were trying to tell people that you know that we had no beginner terrain. But no matter what you do, people come and say they know how to ski, and you know I ski to Blue in New Jersey, so I'll be fine. And they and they take like three hours to get down Great Northern, so that part's always tough.
0: So Great Northern. At least when I was growing up was a was a green circle, was a beginner trail. And and now it's a blue. And uh, and I think rightfully so. Talk to me why Grape Northern's now a blue square.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Press Smith had a vision that we would have a green trail off the top of every peak. And it was a great idea. And we've talked about this before. The downside to that is it one, it makes a lot that big sweeping green trail intersects a whole bunch of trails. So that's one potential negative to that experience right so we solve that on you know part of the mountain with some tunnels and bridges to try to solve that you know on great northern specifically one of the problems we have there is people that come midwinter and they look and they look at the trail map and they would see a green off of the top of the mountain and so many people want to go to the peak and they would see that and they would go up and they would say well we'll just start there and they would spend the whole day on that trail. And so, you know, as I was mentioning, we, we saw some of that at Thanksgiving weekend, but but once we get Snowshed and Ramstead open, we really work hard to push that group down to that area. And by making Great Northern a blue, although we didn't really change the trail, it's really helped, especially when we're open down at Snowshed and Ramset, it's really helped to move people down. And we don't have as many um, transports for the ski patrol to come up and take people off of the trail because they're in over their head. And, and really, as you mentioned, it's, it's really not good for anybody, right? We joke about it, but it's actually not a great thing that somebody, their first time skiing, they spend a couple hours trying to get down a trail and they want to give up. You know, we want to get more people in the sport. That's good for the resort. It's good for the industry. It's good for the town, right? So we want people to be on the right, right trail. And I think that was really one of the better moves we've done since we've been here. Um, you know, m- making that a blue has moved people to different parts of the mountain. And I think, you know, that's been great. The other part of it is, you know, once you get to midday, that trail is skied by a lot of experts to get to other parts of the mountain, right? So the part of Great Northern right under the gondola is probably like a double black sometimes <laughs> by, mi- by midday. <laughs> so that really is it, is, it is tougher. You know, Snowshed never gets as hard as that steep part under the gondola. And one of the nice things about Killington is we have some of the best beginner terrain around, at least on the East coast, probably in the whole country between snowshed and Ramsey. that's some amazing terrain. So we really don't need to push them to other parts of the mountain. Uh, So it just works better for everybody.
0: Agreed. Agreed. A hundred percent. Um, I've been asking around, do we have any idea when bear mountain might open?
3: Well, never soon enough for some of the team, (laughs) but, um, Yeah, I mean, we're getting Snowshed open this weekend, and we'll be moving this weekend uh, a couple places. You know, we'll be moving a little bit back up top to get Eastfall. We need to get the canyon chair going, so that's that's very important. And then we need to move into Needle's Eye, at least get a, a trail or two in there, and then we'll immediately move into Bear. So, you know, we're going as quick as possible. Obviously, the weather's been really up and down, and the team's been working hard, and I think we're doing great, but, um, you know, never enough terrain this time of year.
0: Yeah, you know, the, the weather hasn't really cooperated completely. You know, sure, a lot of natural snow, but then, you know, I'm, I'm a little warm up here and there, and that slows the progress, I would imagine. Um, any truth to the rumor that the Bear Quad might run seven days a week this year? <laughs>
3: What are you taking guest questions or what? <laughs> no, you did a mogul uh, session with Hannah. So maybe
0: I, I did, I did. That's exactly where it came you know. from Yep.
3: Yeah. I mean, bears always the debate, right? Like the, the group that loves outer limits, you know, we love them. You know, the challenge for us, of course, is how many lifts can we run every day of the week? Right. And uh, I think everybody knows, right. We, we try to balance the place and try to have as much terrain open as possible. And, and Skype can get most of outer limits, but not all of it. I understand, but you know, I think when you go midweek and you see the fact that three out of four chairs on on Sky Peak Express are empty, it should show that there's just not enough demand for that. Sure. And, you know, we do bring it in on Fridays and and busy times and stuff, but, uh, you know, the bump culture is important here. And, you know, we really try to cater to that group, but I'm not sure I could ever run enough bump trails for them keep everyone happy.
0: They are a very passionate bunch. I talked to Hannah about the, the mogul culture in and around Bear Mountain, Bear Mountain parking lot and how it's just this huge family and, and how many amazing mogul skiers Killington's produced over the years from Donna to Hannah. Um, so that's, that's just a, a feather in Killington's cap. So the, 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 the mogul culture uh, over at Bear, the, from the parking lot to the, to the groups of people that just love to ski bumps, um, do they ever protest rumors?
3: Oh, I think all the time, right? So, there's certain trails around here we usually leave, you know, natural or those type of things. But sometimes, even OL, sometimes it just gets so icy and tough that we decide we need to mow it down and, and make some snow on it and let it build back. But usually, there's some that would rather just ski a full ice field of bumps <laughs> and and would rather never have us touch anything. And it's hard. It's a hard balance because we try to leave things as much as we can, especially on those type of trails. But there is a balance where, you know, Hannah might be able to ski up and not too many others. And we also don't want trails sitting there that nobody can use. So it's sort of a balance. And and when we do mow it down, we're doing it in a period where we think it can build back up quickly. That's, oh, there's always some strategy behind that.
0: That's really interesting to me that, that you plan accordingly, that when you mow it down, that there are snow making temperatures, you know, in the future or natural snow or or enough enough snow to make it bring it back to its its natural. Mowgli state, if that's even
3: a word. Yeah. In the last couple of years, you know, I mean, our preferred plan would be not to do anything and make some snow on it and just bring it back that way. That's the best plan, you know, just depending on what's happening with weather and other strategies. And if it's getting cold or, you know, there's so many pieces that come into the factor, but, you know, we think that we want to have a lot of bumps around for people. And we also want to have some areas where people can learn bumps, right? We don't want them to be so big and and aggressive that nobody can figure out how to get into them either. So it's kind of a balance across the mountain.
0: To be quite honest, uh, an icy outer limits is, you know, that's gnarly.
3: (laughs) There's a lot of people that would still love to just go down it.
0: Well, Mike, thank you very much for your time. Once again, it was very interesting to learn about, you know, why the expansion happens the way it does, um, the importance of getting beginners to the right areas to learn and have a positive experience. Um, Again, Mike, thank you for your time and we'll talk to you in a couple of
3: weeks great thanks
0: for having me well skiers and riders that does it for episode four of the killington download podcast we sure hope you enjoyed our conversation with hannah soar if you have do us a favor and consider subscribing and even better write us a review as always you can get the latest happenings at the beast through the killington app for your phone if you haven't downloaded it already make sure you do also make sure you follow killington on facebook twitter and instagram for all the fresh content i have links to all that and the app in the show notes below i'm justin cash thanks for listening and we'll see you at the Beast.